it was always a debate in my head like should I be here because there needs to be a voice of that person when then I was actually like it's also about being able to bring opportunities to other people because that's what's gonna actually add value in the long term is bringing other people into these situations that maybe wouldn't be able to get right into a label or whatever it is. And if I have any knowledge that I can share with people that will help them, then that's what I wanna do. Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to Sade Lawson. Sade works as part of the management team behind FKA Twigs, co-owns consultancy agency Cozy Global alongside her close friend Mahanila and manages dancehall DJ Lil C. During our conversation, she recalls her career so far and describes how curiosity and a passion for learning new skills has led her on a constantly evolving journey through the music industry, where she's worked in a variety of roles from running the door at clubs, directing music videos, DJing parties, and marketing at major labels. She's a great example of someone who's built a career based off her passion, following her creative interests and not being tied down by a traditional career path. When do you feel like was the first time that you remember music like affecting you in some way? I think in school, but that's because my parents are both musical, like my dad's a musician. Right. And so in school, my parents used to be really active in like coming into my school and doing workshops and stuff. Right. So my dad would come in and play guitar or like do things. Well, that's what I think. Now, yeah, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. now I'm saying it. I'm like, I remember like they would come into school and do like events and not events, but you know, like obviously it was, we were kids. So it would yeah. just be like, they'd come in and do things. So it's like, I've always had music in some form or capacity in my life in, in the sense of like, you know, my family and other than just like listening to music, obviously, you know, I feel like most people, you know, are listening to in the house, obviously my grandparents from the Caribbean. So when I was growing up, they used to have a lot of parties where it'd be like, you know, music playing a lot. But then my dad was a musician. So it was like music was just always in my family. Like I played instruments when I was younger. Right. Um, so really that was the route. Like I used to play the flute. <laughs> And like I used to do like piano lessons and singing lessons. My dad always wanted me to be a musician. Right. So and he's a musician now. So right. it's just always been like just and my brother like my brother, he so moved to the Caribbean and growing up like he used to make things. He just loved making things. So he would make like speaker boxes. Right. Like actual speakers out of literally like paint cans and he would just get like an old box and build it and then make a speaker and play it but I guess again living in the Caribbean obviously sound system culture you're bored it was like he was around my dad who also used to make stuff like my dad used to fix guitars so I think literally from birth pretty much right. music was just there in like listening to it but also like instruments around and like you know being a part of music in some capacity my dad was in a band so yeah Cool. So wh where were you born? So I was born actually in London. Right. And then I lived here until I was about six, six and a half. Okay. And then I moved to the Caribbean. So I lived in Dominica, where my mum's side of the family's from. And then I moved to Scotland for my last year of primary school. And I did all of high school in Edinburgh. Right. And then I moved back to London. 
Because okay. I always, that's the thing. I always knew I was going to work in music. Like I knew music was going to be what I did. I just knew that I didn't want to be in front. Because that's the thing my dad used to try and make me sing. Or like, you know, at events, he would make me get up and sing. And I was always really shy. So I was always like, I want to be in music, but I want to be behind the scenes. So I always knew that that's what it was going to be from pretty much school. Right. Like I knew I was going to work in music. What kind of music was he... What kind of bands and stuff was he in? So my dad, so jazz is what right. he plays, but then he's like a musician who does a lot of like weddings and stuff. Okay. So they play a lot of like, you know, a mixture of Scottish music, like, you know, Amy Winehouse, like it's weddings. So it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they'll want the first song to be Amy Winehouse or Adele or like, so a lot of jazz. Um, and then he does now like swing, like jazz swing and Django music, which is a type of like guitar music. Right. Um, and he plays the piano. So he played, but mostly like growing up, he was into like jazz, a lot of Stevie Wonder and that type of thing. Like Shaka Khan and, you know, just like things that I guess a lot of that generation probably, you know, like my mum used to love, um, oh my God, what's his name? Like an old classical musician so i think it was just always pretty varied but my dad like plays mostly jazz um like he plays a lot at the jazz cafe in edinburgh still now (laughs) my friends be like i saw your dad at the jazz cafe i'm like yeah sounds about right and what what do you think was the first music that like you started bringing into the house because obviously i guess when we grow up it's like whatever our parents have yeah but then we sort of yeah. connect to something outside of that i mean like the two things the two artists that i remember that were my favorites was britney spears obviously because i feel like everyone loved britney spears and ashanti like that album i remember that like, i would spend summers in london so when i moved to scotland i would spend my summers in london with my mom and i would just you know when you had like the old cassette player yeah or like CD player, sorry. I would just listen to the Ashanti album like on repeat. And Britney Spears, I remember liking, cause I remember when I moved to Scotland at that time in primary school, everyone was listening to like emo music. And I remember like I used to listen to Britney Spears. So I would go into school and I'd be like, everyone's listening to like Slipknot and like wearing like cords and like hoodies, like, you know, Slipknot hoodies. And I was just like, because I'd come from the Caribbean as well, where obviously people were listening to like soca music and like Bashman and, and and reggae. And then moving to Edinburgh where everyone's listening to like hardcore, like Slipknot. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm just going to stick to Britney Spears because at least that's in the middle. Now I think about it, like living in Edinburgh, even when I would go out, it would just be like, because as well, I used to go out quite young. Because right. Edinburgh was so small. You know, when you live in a smaller town, you end up going to clubs a lot younger just because it's like you've got nothing else to do. So you're like, we might as well try and go out to the to the actual clubs. So there was one club night in Edinburgh called Massa, which was the only like place where they played ur- urban music or R&B and Bashman and hip hop. And that was on a Sunday. <clears throat> but basically my friend Sinead, she used to go out with this guy in my school who was a DJ there. So we used to go there all the time because he would DJ there. So, you know, you just find, you just find it, don't you? It was like, yeah, yeah. I always would go to other clubs and listen to the same music that everyone else was. But my interest was always in R&B, hip hop, mostly. Yeah. R&B, I like a lot. So I would always end up going to like Massa, which was on a, and it was like the only night 
where I guess they played that type of music for a long time. It yeah. was pretty much the only place. So I would go there a lot. But I think, you know, in the beginning, it was mostly just like pop and R&B when I was a kid, when I was really young. But then I would always have influences of like reggae and I always liked dancehall music. But I guess that came from living in the Caribbean because it's like at carnival times, you know, in even now in the Caribbean, like in Dominica, you'll wake up at 9 a.m., and people are listening to full-blown soca music. Like, that's what they listen to. They don't listen to, like, you know, Spotify. They don't consume music that way. So actually, you know, I think it was probably instilled in me. And, like, my, as I said, my grandparents would have parties a lot when we were young. So they'd play a lot of old-school reggae and that type of vibe. Yeah. So it was pretty varied. Because yeah, I had, yeah, like, yeah. on my dad's side, obviously, jazz and more, I guess, content- like, classical and instruments basically he would play a lot of instruments so you hear a different type of sound and then obviously living in edinburgh naturally it's going to be more swayed towards pop music and what they play in clubs which was not what i wanted to listen to but then for me it was just r&b is like my favorite still yeah, to this yeah, day. yeah. and bashman i like bashman a lot too but it's, it's interesting because obviously like coming from newcastle it was a similar mm. thing where it's kind of like I guess now R&B and hip hop are like so big that wherever you go, really, there's people listening to it. But at that time, it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. And it was like hard to find even another person in your class or whatever. Yeah. Or in school who's like into the same music. Yeah. And I would say like, so I go back to Edinburgh quite a bit. I went there a month ago or whatever. And me and my friend Vanessa went on a Friday night to this club called Shanghai, which was predominantly like because there's one strip in Edinburgh in George Street where like they have all the clubs where people go like a lot of uni students go we would go when we were younger and Shanghai they ne- they you know obviously everyone would dip their toe in like you know you'd hear Busta Rhymes or a ludicrous song or like those were popular songs at the time but you know hearing like Afrobeats and all of that stuff you didn't really hear it but then when I went out on a Friday night and it was a student night that's kind of they it was it was a more of an Afro bashment that kind of like that was the majority I guess of what they played which was really interesting because obviously even from when I was going out back then that's not what dominated the clubs like on a Friday night you weren't gonna have a whole night of like Afro Bashman and Jay Huss and rappers and yeah you know like African artists whereas now I think it's a lot more mainstream I guess it is very interesting to see how how it's changed over time like in those places because also I think you know within London it's such a different landscape than even if you step outside of London and so people forget that the rest of the UK is completely different yeah to you know what it's like in London especially if you grew up here you have this assumption that obviously you're aware that there's less you know diversity or whatever but actually like when it comes to clubs and going out even when I go back to Edinburgh all the people that I grew up with that were you know in the black community are still around yeah and it's like so interesting how it's changed where like we all knew each other because it was like there wasn't that many people so we all would hang out in princess street where that was town like we'd all go there in summer so it was like you'd end up just meeting everyone because it was like a community of people that had this similar interest or from different places or this person knew that person but i'm like it's interesting how it's kind of like evolved and now it's actually like very on such a larger scale which is good do you think that it's helpful as someone who works in the music industry in london to go outside like that and see because i've always felt like 
London, we're in such a bubble that like an artist can sell out a show and seem massive here, but then can go to like Leeds or Manchester or Edinburgh and it's a completely different story. Yeah. Do you think that visit in Edinburgh regularly helps you to kind of keep a gauge on what's actually happening? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because it's like London is such a unique place within the UK but not even just in music just generally in terms of culture in terms of you know the amounts of different types of people that you come across when you live in London compared to if you if you live somewhere else in the UK so I think it's about perspective of like being able to actually see that because people will go and do a show in Glasgow for a night or Edinburgh or Leeds and obviously again it's still like a different perception because you've been booked to do a show so the audience that you're getting know who you are essentially yeah. or know what vibe they're going to get whereas coming from there knowing that like you know even Edinburgh that's the city you have Edinburgh and Glasgow which are the places that people know but then if you go outside of those the rest of Scotland completely different yeah so I think it's like really good because you just get a different perspective I guess that maybe sometimes you might not because even I forget sometimes living in London for such a long time I'm like oh yeah you go up even just a little bit further and it's a completely different landscape and it's a completely different way of consuming music and you know things like radio and all of those things that we talk about all the time whereas in London we know that people are probably consuming things a lot more on Spotify or on apps or whatever where it's like up in Edinburgh when they're driving along from Dundee to to Aberdeen they might listen to the radio more because actually they're in the car a lot more they're commuting or you know things that I guess you just don't really like think about that much because you are always in it and you're always around people that are listening even that's the thing in music you know I'm around a lot of people that work in music so we have or in entertainment industry maybe not just music because actually there's like fashion and brands and all of that but working I guess in entertainment or the creative sector even outside of that, people who don't, when I hang out with my friends who have completely different jobs or don't work in this type of industry, it's just a completely different perspective of how they listen to playlists, of how they consume music, of how they discover music that I find really helpful because I'm like, I'm around people that do it in a similar way to me, but that's actually not how the majority of people yeah. do things or consume music. So I think it is like really great to have, I guess, just different perspectives and be able to like escape and just like be away from it and actually get the perspective on like, okay, this is one part of this whole machine, but actually these are all equally as important, but how do you like get to them where it makes sense for them to consume yeah, yeah, it yeah. or for them to like understand what the message is of what you're trying to say. So yeah, I, I love being able to like leave yeah, and go somewhere else and be like just away from it all, I yeah. guess. Because I remember as well, like when I was younger, you wouldn't even necessarily get the artists come to your city. You'd have to travel. Yeah. Like I'd go to Glasgow quite a lot because yeah. that was the nearest place yeah. where the artist was playing. I always used to be there. I'd be like, it's so annoying. I don't want to go to Glasgow. Yeah. Or like when I moved to Leeds, I'd <laughs> yeah. have to go to Manchester yeah. all the time and stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. When I think about it now, when I was in Edinburgh, I never really used to go to concerts and stuff that much, like outside of Edinburgh. Right. Because I could never be <laughs> but then it's I, only like an hour ago. yeah I know it's so close I don't know why I just I just had you know like you just have this perception in your head so then you're like it's far or like I don't want to go there because it's expensive but in Edinburgh you know like people would come there I remember like Dizzy Rascal came to Edinburgh <laughs> and I went to that Kanye West yeah came to Edinburgh I went to that concert that was, was it the really glow in the dark one no it was like one it was in the corn exchange do you know the corn okay. exchange 
um it's like a really rat basically it's like random i'm like i okay. don't know why Kanye west was performing i think people used to perform there but when i went i thought this is not Kanye west vibe but i think it was before he was like real Kanye west. right but it was so much fun and but that's the thing i guess as well so that club the one i was telling you about because it was the only place like the urban hub of edinburgh like a lot of artists would go there anyway because they would go there and do PAs or whatever or go there and perform because they know that that's where people are going to be. Yeah. So I would see, I would get to see a lot of artists in that space as well just because they would end up being there. But I never really like was a big traveler for like, I was never really like, yeah, I want to see them so much. I'm going to book a ticket to Glasgow and go all the way there. And I think as well, just being allowed, like I don't know, because you know, it finished kind of late. Yeah. And it's like, am I allowed to be in Glasgow and then I have to get back to Edinburgh? couldn't drive or anything at the time i still can't drive actually (laughs) (laughs) so you know but but i had so much fun when i think about it like i used to go out all the time even but then i moved to london like i moved to london when i was pretty much 18 as well so it was like you know i was going out like that was now i think about it it's like no wonder why i wasn't going because i was probably like 15 at the time but when i moved to london i literally finished school and i knew i wanted to work in music so i was like well I have to leave Edinburgh or I have to leave Scotland if I want to pursue like and I knew I wanted to work in you know hip-hop and R&B so yeah. I was like well I need to leave Edinburgh. If your dad's like pushing you to the front at what point did you realize that there was other jobs you could do that weren't even to do with performance because I feel like we're often not exposed to that. Kind yeah of- see again like my dad in Edinburgh used to run a live music venue so when I when I originally like my original like goal was to work for a festival or to work in events to work in live events because my dad ran a live music venue and I was always like yeah it would be fun to like put on all the concerts where these people perform and run that side of it and so originally I my dream was to work at wireless festival right (laughs) like that was like my ultimate like had you been at that point or you just knew about it I don't think I'd been yeah I just knew about it but I would just see the lineups and be like wow like this is amazing this is like what I want to do so I used to want to work at like wireless Notting Hill Carnival like that was like my sort of targets was like I want to work in live events that's the thing originally I didn't even think about working at like a record company or anything like that I was like, I want to run events. I want to do festivals. I guess part of it was like travel. Like in my mind, I thought festivals, you can travel, you get to see the live events and you get to be part of like putting on this amazing show. Mm. But that I think came from seeing that like, yeah, my dad ran a venue. So it was like live events are fun. At the time I thought you're close to the artists because you get to meet them. You get to put the show on, you get to go to the show and it's free. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then obviously that never that kind of happened actually but yeah. then I realized what it really was and I was like oh no I don't want to do that so when you first moved to London did you have a job lined up or what were you doing no so I finished school and then a lot of my friends went traveling and then I was working a bit and then I was like I want to move to London and my mum lives in London like had li- she lived in London or she came back to London, so she was living here. And so I used to spend my summers here and stuff. So basically I was like, I want to work in music, but I didn't want to go to uni. But I was like, if I don't go to uni, then I'm moving to London with no friends. No, like, cause obviously I'd spent summers here and I didn't really have any friends. Yeah. So I was like, if I just move here and try and get a random job in music and try and like make my way, it's going to be a lot harder than going to uni and actually like being in an environment where everyone's making friends and whatever. 
And so I basically just did so much research to find a course. <laughs> you know what I'm saying this like, and everyone's gonna hear it, but to find a course that basically had minimal amount of, of like essays and studying right, yeah. more on the like, <laughs> more on the sort of like- the practical side. Yeah. And, yeah. and actually, it was really hard, but I found a course and it was in the creative industries. And again, at that time, the creative industries wasn't what it is now. So at the time it was so broad. So it was like a foundation degree. And that was the thing. It was a foundation degree. So there was two courses. There was one in Middlesex University and then the one that I did at City of London. And the, the Middlesex University course I actually preferred but I didn't want to be outside of London because I wanted to be in London. So this course was a mixture where the first two years you did a foundation degree in events management. So I was like, perfect, because it's in events. And it was in partnership with the Roundhouse. So we got to do half our lectures at the Roundhouse. Okay. And then in your third year, you got a BA in the creative industries. And at the time I was just like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, I don't really know what that entails, but the modules look good. So I ended up moving because I was like, I want to be in holes. I want to have the experience of uni. I don't want to be straight into work, you know, yeah. I want a few more years of fun. <laughs> and, you know, you have your student loan, all of those things. I was like, it will be great. And it will be good just to make friends and make connections and understand how to get around and where I want to live. And, you know, basically just ease myself in rather than coming down here and having that pressure yeah. at like 19 to get a job in music when I have absolutely zero idea of how it works and you know what I actually really want to do so I'm really happy now that I did it and I guess like one of my friends Karina ended up doing a degree at the same uni and so we were in halls together so I had like a friend that was with me from the beginning so it was really fun like I had such a great time what do you think are the main things that you learned on that that you've kind of taken that I guess affect your everyday now I guess just like being able to like meet different people understanding the value of being able to do that and I think seeing how these things really work it's so hard to explain when you when you don't do it if that makes sense but it's like you know you have a perception of how to run an event or even how to build relationships yeah because it's like you can say to someone oh you know like go out for coffees with people or do this but it's like actually being out there and doing it and I think as well that thing of like I can only speak now in hindsight because I have years after it. But, you know, at that time, because I was just going out and having fun, I was meeting loads of people. That naturally just helped me later on in life where it was like all the people I was meeting out at events and all these places then got jobs in music or got jobs doing other things. But it happened that I just met them when I was out in uni at some event because I would go to things that people would recommend. They'd be like, oh, Laughing Boy, which was like a comedy event. Oh, you should go to that. There was like events at Shoreditch House. Again, like before Shoreditch House became like what it is now. I mean, it still was Shoreditch House, but like they used to run events there for non-members called Wired. And it was like a monthly event where they'd have live music and you could just get on the guest list and go. And I was like that type of place where you would just meet loads of other people who were also working music. Just because we'd met one other person who was like, oh, you guys should come to this event. So I think the power of like, just being young where you're just ready to just interact with people you know like as you get older yeah. you're a bit more like well my time and I don't want to do this and I don't want to go to this event whereas at that time I was just and yet because I was coming from outside of London I wanted to do all of those things I wanted to be out and I wanted to meet people and I wanted to find out what was going on and I think that 
that sort of just gave me a weird advantage. Not because I planned it or because I was trying to do something. It was just because I was like new to the city and I was like, well, I'm new. I need to meet people. So I have to be out and about. Yeah. There's like, there's no other choice. Otherwise I'm not going to make any friends. But in between that time, I mean, there was loads of times when I like didn't have any friends. <laughs> And I was like at home, like, have I moved here for the, like, is this a good idea? But I think now, as I said, like looking back, that was the value of being able to be at uni. And I guess you just have like a sort of support. You don't have the pressure of having to pay bills or having to think about like life yet because you're in uni, you're in halls, you're in an environment where like, you know, you pay your student loan. And I was working at the time. So I had like loads of income. because Where I had- were you working? I used to work like in in a cafe, in a vegan cafe, but then I also used to work for a shipping company in the reception. I did loads of random jobs. Like I worked as a door person a lot. So I used to do the door at places and then I did an internship. So yeah, that's the thing. Because my course was so driven by like practical of actually going out and doing stuff. Did an internship at the Columbo Group for ages where I was like just helping them update the website. And so I was meeting, like, finding out about all the promoters, finding out how they did the website. I would sit, like, from 11 till 1 answering the phones. So, like, for XOYO, people will always call up, like, can I wear trainers? Or, like, can I still get tickets on the door? Or things like that, where I would just sit in the office at night above, like, the Queen's Head in Essex Road, just answering the phones or, like, random things. And then I used to intern for, like, the Sunday show. That was probably the Sunday show, I think, was really... So that was during uni and it was like an internship, but it was an event that ran every Sunday. They'd ran it for like 10 years. I came in towards the end. So when I moved to London, I met this guy called Marvin who ran it and he was like, yeah, we're going to do this internship thing. So I ended up working there for almost like a year. Um, But that at that time, Sunday show was like the show. So all the rappers went all like people would go there for fun like Mo the Comedian would be there and like hosting it and like Crept and Conan would go there and Getz and Ed Sheeran and Jamal would be there so it was like I was just around like I just was lucky that you know I met people and then I'd be like I want to work in music then I did that internship and that's where I really developed my skills of like putting on an event how do you run an event how do you promote an event how do you sustain an event like how much does it cost to do all of these things you get sort of the inner workings of how these things run because you have this perception of like, oh yeah, you just book an act and then you put it out and then people are going to come. And it's like, oh no, especially because it was weekly. So it was like every single week we had to be doing the lineups or promoting it for the next one and seeing how the promoter Napper would like keep, you know, it ticking over every single week. And there would be weeks where it was quiet and then there'd be weeks where it was really busy. And it was just like, I was just really, I guess at that time, <clears throat> I think that's what you build. I built like a really good work ethic of like just working a lot, saying yes to a lot of things, trying a lot of different things to see, is this really what I want to do? And when you were leaving uni, what did you think that you wanted to do then? Like, what did you think you wanted to be when you'd had that three years of studying? I still wanted to work in events. I still wanted to do live events because yeah, so with my degree, we got to do events at the Roundhouse, which was again, and now I think about it, I'm like, it was an amazing opportunity because we got to do half of our lectures at the Roundhouse. So again, we were in an environment where we were around real life events. We were around, you know, people who were working in the music industry or the entertainment industry at that time. And so our last project, we got to do, an, we took over the whole Roundhouse, did an event in the main space and in the like, in the smaller space. And so I was like, yeah, events was what I wanted to do. And so basically I left uni 
And because I'd done like, I'd, in, I'd interned at international talent booking. I'd done all these different things where I'd worked in an office in like with an agent. I'd done events. I'd done, you know, like working in live events. And so I was like, you know, events is what I want to do. So I left uni and I thought, well, yeah, I'll be able to get a job now because I've already interned. Like, you know, you think intern yeah, yeah. and then once you've interned, you just put that all in your CV and you're like, okay, I can get a job. And it didn't really work that way. So I was working in a cafe for a long time, right. probably about, I think about a year. And I was working there full time. So five days a week and then couldn't really get a job in music of any capacity. I was like applying for all these different jobs, wasn't getting anything festivals only run like when the festival's happening you know it's not like all the time they need people to be employed and I was very low level I was just out of uni so it was kind of difficult so then I got an internship with Twin B and Richard who ran levels and they gave me an internship so I was working five days a week in the cafe because obviously I worked weekends and then I would do two days a week with levels and so that was like my first introduction to like record labels and I was working pretty much seven days a week. And I still like didn't really have any money as well because the cafe, I was I was working in a cafe, so I was getting paid minimum wage. Then on my, on my days off, I was interning. And so I got to a point where I was just like, there's only so long I can do this because I'm also not getting a job out of it. So I was like, there's only so long that I can intern and keep interning. So then one day I decided, okay, I'm gonna quit my job at the cafe. I'm gonna give myself a month to find a job in music. And if I don't find a job in music, then I'm going to look at... In my head, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> right. I was like, I'm going to like change industry and become a teacher or something like that. So over that month, I was just applying for loads of different jobs. And then my friend, Roy, he had... He, we went to the same uni, but he did, he did law. There was like a scheme that he knew about and they had a creative element and it was called Creative Access. And they basically were set up to help ethnic minorities to get jobs in the creative industries. So they did a lot of sort of, they basically would have, it was internships, but they were paid. Because right. obviously that was the whole thing. It was like, you know, people were doing internships, but they're not really getting paid. This was a partnership with a brand. So it would be like Channel 4 or Sony Music or, you know, like a production company where you go in and they give you a contract for six months to a year and they pay part of it. So it was like funded by partly the company and partly the creative access. And so a lot of the jobs were actually based around TV, TV production, radio, and then towards the end of the month, a job came up, an internship came up at Sony Music. So I was like, well, you know, I should apply. Like, I want to work in music. A record label would be great. Sony would be amazing. That would be a really great, like, in to the industry. And I've obviously got this experience because at the time I was still working at XOI on the door. And, you know, I was doing all these different random, like, jobs in music, but I wasn't working in music. That literally came towards the end of the month. So I applied for it thinking... I didn't think I was going to get it and then I went for an interview and then the next day they called me back for another interview with like the rest of the team and then I ended up getting the job and that's pretty much where it all started like working actually in music properly because I got an internship at Sony which was through which was at Relentless which obviously is a part of Sony Music and that was literally like it took I mean it took like a year yeah <laughs> for me to actually get a job and even that, it was like, you know, very low level, like entry level. I was an intern. Yeah. But I was getting paid. So it was, it was good. 
What kind of stuff were you doing as an intern at Relentless? So originally I came I came in as an A&R, an A&R intern. But at that time at Relentless, it was a really small team. So it was just me and obviously Shabs, Adam, Becky. And so I was kind of more of just like an intern that helped because there was such a small team and we kind of plugged into the Sony team. But within Relentless, it was quite small. So I kind of helped out with everything. So I did like a bit of an A&R, just kind of like general office management. I was sort of like half a PA to my boss. So I was pretty much just like a general intern. Um, So I would help set up meetings and, you know, help with the diary, you know, just kind of like get people from reception, just general like intern things at the beginning. Yeah. But do you think that being part of such a small team is more beneficial because yeah you you really get to learn whereas i guess if you're an intern at a bigger team you might only learn like part of a specific thing like pr or something yeah exactly yeah because it wasn't separated by like department like there was obviously the departments within sony but in our team it was like we handled everything so i think it was and i think also like even that like being a pa for a period of time like I wasn't a full PA, but be doing all of that stuff really helped me with one, like understanding how these things go, like the different levels of people, but also just organization. Like I think it really helped me understand, you know, emailing, making sure I confirm meetings, things where, you know, like being in that space where you're having to do it for another person means that when you do it for yourself, you do it better because you're like, you are responsible to someone else. So I think it was really helpful because I got to see as as well, like the in, ins and outs of a and marketing, radio plugging, actually seeing what each department does. Cause I think that's the other thing, isn't it? You, you go into a label and you're like, oh, there's a marketing team, but it's like within the marketing team, you have a product manager, a press person, a radio person, all these different elements that I had absolutely no idea even existed until I was sitting in the rooms and actually listening to how these things really go. So I think it was, it was an amazing like thing to do as my first job. Cause I actually understand the music business. Cause I think that's the thing, isn't it? There's so many elements. There's like yeah. people who do events that never have to know about the actual music business and record industry side of it. Yeah, they might understand it to an extent, but if you're just a promoter who's built up doing these events for a period of time, you know that world inside and out. But then it's like actually working within a major record company is completely different. So it was really good because I got a really great insight into like the business aspect of it and understanding like what it means when you sign a record and you know how the money works and what you need in in place in terms of a team in order to push records out and get the best out of a marketing team and how important it is to have the right team in all those levels. Yeah. I didn't didn't really understand it until, you know, later down the line. Yeah. Of the insight that I actually had from being there. What music were you working with while you were at Relentless? What kind of stuff? So when I started, we were working on Bondax. Right. That was one of the big acts that I worked on. That was one of like the priority acts when I was there. And then like later on down the line just before I left, started working with Nadia Rose, worked with Bryson Tiller, Joey Badass was another act from the US that we worked with. And then there was kind of like smaller singles and things that we would do. So we did like a Chris Brown single. Right. <laughs> Not just Chris Brown, Which actually. Single? It was a guy called Dioro. Okay. It was like a dance single. But that was one of my favorites because I was like, oh my God, it's got Chris Brown. <laughs> At the time, I was like, yeah. oh my God, Chris Brown. But yeah, we would do like singles. So we worked with like Steve Aoki. 
yeah. on some stuff. I did, um, but like project wise, I guess Bryson was like my favorite because yeah. he was like one of my favorite acts at the time. And so that was really like, that was probably like, because that was on the Trap Soul album, wasn't it? The one yeah. that like he broke through. From. Yeah, that was like my, still to this day, like one of my favorite. Because at the time, it was, I guess, the first time that I was like, wow, I could actually work on projects. Not that I hadn't before, but like I was just a really massive fan of this new person. And then it came up that we got a chance to work on it. And so that was like probably one of my favorite things to date that I got to work on. And there was that event at... Not yeah. on hill that was probably the most stressful club. time of my life <laughs> okay actually no but that was really stressful because again i don't think anyone actually anticipated how crazy that was going to be because obviously that song don't blew up on soundcloud he got signed obviously the anticipation was really big we knew and he was obviously doing the shows in camden coco yeah. so we were like yeah you know we'll put on a pre just as a pre-party it'll be cool we'll invite some industry people down and it just turned into absolute mayhem and that's the thing because at that time so later on down the line shabs my old boss bought the notting hill arts club right and so i was working partly there and partly at relentless so obviously when that came up we were like well it makes sense to do it at the arts club because obviously i already work there i'll just organize it because i was already programming a lot of stuff there not thinking that it was going to be that mad, but it was it was amazing. It was just an amazing experience because it was like really exciting to have an artist where people genuinely were like that excited to to come to the show. Yeah. And but it was really like manic. It was. But I remember because wasn't the thing I was working with Imran on the PR for it, and I remember emailing a lot of industry people, and they didn't know who he was at that point. They didn't care. But I think the thing was that he posted on his socials about it on the day. Yeah. Which I don't think he was meant to. Well, the thing is, I and think that's we, what caused this roadblock. Well, yeah, and I think though we didn't because because he had the shows coming up, we didn't think that it was gonna like we because we wanted it to obviously be busy. We were like it'll be in our heads. We were like it'll be good because it'll be good if it's roadblock, but not like that road. Like basically, we, we just didn't think it would be that big. I think we thought yeah, loads of people will come and it will be exciting, not like oh wow, there's actually gonna be like Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> He was there. Was he? No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what? It's all a blur because I think my perspective of it is that so many people I knew came. Because yeah. obviously I invited all my friends as well, not thinking that it was going to be that crazy. So I was just on the door trying to make sure that I didn't lose my job also because like all these Spotify people and Apple people came down and there was people from America and from Apple that were there and all these people that I just didn't, I didn't know that... You know, they were like, we have we have to make sure they get in. And I'm like, yeah, but we're actually full. Like the whole club is literally full. You know, those things where they'll be like, we're full and we're not full. It's like, no, 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 we're actually like at yeah. capacity. There's no way not another person could fit in here. He can't even get into the venue. So, but it was amazing. Like it was such a great experience because it was the first time that I was like, yeah, this is really like exciting and something that I'm really passionate about because I love the music and I think for him, it was probably pretty crazy as well. Because I, yeah. I don't think anyone really knew exactly how it was going to go. Yeah. At that at that moment, like we knew it was going to be big because obviously the song had 
blown up on SoundCloud. But at that time, there was a lot of songs on SoundCloud that that's where people were discovering, you know, those types of artists. So Lection was really big at that time. You know, they were picking up a lot of artists that were becoming a lot more well-known. So it was like, you knew that there was anticipation there, but I think it was just like really exciting to see it all happen in front of you, like yeah. that fast. And for, and for you to be a part of it. Yeah. And that's the thing, it's like, I know I was a part of it, but I also don't feel like I was. You know, like, you're such a small part of, like, such a bigger thing that my part seemed so small. But it was really amazing for me to just be there. Like, in my head, it just reaffirmed, like, okay, yeah, I can actually do this and be successful and work with people that I really, really like. It doesn't always have to be, you know, not that I didn't like anyone I worked with, but, you know, just that I could pick really exciting things and be a part of things that I believed were really at the forefront of what people wanted to hear. Yeah, because I guess in the label, sometimes you're just given stuff that isn't necessarily the thing that you want to work on. Which is is good because it's also like, you know, you want to be a part of different things and seeing how, you know, how someone like him will be marketed compared to an electronic act or it's like really good to have that perspective. But I think that was the first time where I was just like, yeah, I love this. I would go to the concert. I would go and buy all the tickets and, you know, be at the front. Yeah, because <laughs> I guess professionally, the other stuff's really helpful. But then when it's coupled with the fact that you're actually a fan of the music, it's yeah. like a different yeah, experience. Definitely. Well, at that point, what was your role? Because I'm assuming you weren't still intern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No. So yeah, I realized quickly that A&R wasn't my strong point, that I wasn't going to be like an A&R scout or anything. So obviously I would go to shows and stuff, but then I moved more into marketing. That was definitely more like where I felt like I could do a better job. So I moved more into becoming a marketing assistant. I was still doing PA stuff. And then, as I said, I was splitting my time between Notting Hill Arts Club and Relentless. So then I would spend half of my week at the arts club programming helping redesign the website again that was when social media just started taking off for like venues and places so I was working on social media programming a lot of nights there and just yeah like being a part of this sort of I guess core team of running the arts club it was great because again I was like one side I have the label and Sony and like that perspective and then I'm still in the club so like I even at the arts club I mean I would do the door all the time like I would still do the door there for certain events so it was great because I was literally just getting the perspective from each angle like from being a door girl to actually programming a night there to actually sitting in the club and seeing you know the takings for the week and how do we increase that and what does it mean for the drinks and then seeing okay on the label side we're signing things how do we market that what team do you have in place for that side so it was really amazing to actually be able to like do both of those things in one in one place you Mm. know it wasn't like I had two separate jobs it was like those two were like intertwined what was it about A&R that made you think it wasn't what you wanted to do? Again, I think just understanding what it really is. I think, you know, a lot of people will be like, I want to be an A&R because they, because that's the thing. A lot of people are good at finding new talented artists. And that's one element of being an A&R. Of course, you have to go out and actually be able to find talent and say like, I can spot the next Adele or the next big artist. But then it's like the ins and outs is, do you know how to make a radio edit? Do you know how to put a song together? Like, do you know all the songwriters and the producers and the mixers and the masterers and all of these elements that I was like, I don't know anything about. 
how to make a radio hit or how to make an edit that's going to be better for club what remix should we be doing for this show and again obviously the landscape of music has changed but at the time it was like you know you needed a mix for capital extra and you needed a mix for kiss fresh and then you needed a radio mix and then you know all these different things that it was actually so much more complicated than just going out and finding talent and then on top of that the competition of being an a&r of having to go out and find these acts and then be the one that signs them. That in itself is a whole talent because it's like, you have to be able to say, I want you as an artist to trust me to like be able to make songs with you. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Literally, I have no idea. And so I think it was just also very competitive. Also that thing where, you know, you have to be out all the time. You have to be at every single gig. You know, you have to be willing to want to go to, you know, all the gigs in Shoreditch and go to all like because that's the thing when you're an A&R it's like of course you're going to go to all the Brixton academies and all of these but they're already signed and they're already have a team in place so really you're going to all of the events that happen on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday which for me I was like I I don't want to do that because <laughs> I was already in the clubs like doing these events yeah so I was like you know I don't want to be out having to go to random shows every day of the week I think that those kind of elements, but more just like the role of, of an A&R in a record company is a lot different than being an A&R scout, for example. Again, it was just the more I understood about the role, the more I was like, oh, I don't think I'd actually be that good at that. Yeah. Like, it's not that I couldn't have done it, but it was more like, I actually don't think I would enjoy it that much. So I moved more into like the marketing. That was what excited me because I came from events and then it was like, marketing kind of feeds into that like how do you promote it how do you build something around that like what are you telling people what is the story what is the creative how does it look how does it feel are you building a brand all of those things were more what I was interested in what brought the relentless job to an end what why did you leave I think it was just like I'd been there for three and a half years and I just felt maybe again I think it's like only in hindsight that I I realize now because you know at the time you're just going through life I was young I'd been in the job for three and a half years and I just kind of felt like is this what I want to do for the rest of my life maybe and I was like "Mm, I don't know if it is because I've only ever done this and I think when you're in a small team sometimes I don't know I guess you just get to that point where you're like you know you get antsy like what's the next thing like is this going to be what I do forever and and I think then you start to think okay well I've got to try something else like I've got to do something new and I think that was really it like I was just like you know I want to I've only had this one experience with working in music and I think I was just ready for something new I think that's genuinely like as you get older I started there when I was straight out of uni pretty much that was my first industry job I think I just got to the point where I was like it's time it's time to like try something different and and try something new and move away from because that's the thing when I left that when I left Sony I had no intention I was like I'm not going to work at another record company right like I didn't think I would go back into working at a major label because I was like I've done it now and like I learned so much but again I think that environment I was like it's not really me 100% so I didn't really actually have an intention to like work at another record company but then I, I did. <laughs> it was Atlantic? No, uh, I was at Warner Brothers. Okay, yeah. So I left Sony, Relentless. And then I, th- again, you know, because I was young, I was like, well, you know, I've worked, at, I've worked at a label for three and a half years. I can go freelance. Like, I don't need a job again. I can just freelance. Because I, I had other things lined up. Like, I was consulting a little bit. 
and I was working with a promoter a couple of days a week. So I was in my head like, yeah, this will be great. I can just, you know, do my own thing. And obviously at the time in Bloom, like these other companies or these other projects that I was working on were starting to like bubble away. So in my head, I was like, yeah, I can do, I can do freelance. I don't need to be in a full-time job anymore. So I was, I was freelance for a period of time, not that long actually. And then it was getting a bit difficult. <laughs> and I was like, actually, this is, this is not as easy as I thought. Right. And then, and then I got offered a job at Warner. So I didn't plan on get. I actually at that time didn't even plan on getting a job, but I got offered a job. And at the time I was like, you know what? I need a job and this has come my way. And I just think, you know, sometimes when things come your way in a certain way, it would be stupid of you not to take it because it must be for a reason. Yeah. So I got offered a job at Warner, but the way it came about, it was so out of the blue. It wasn't like I was like trying to get a job or whatever. So I was like, do you know what? I've only had one experience in a label. I've heard good things about Warner. I'm going to give it a go. So I took the job, but also as well as like, I need a job. And I, and I just thought it was a completely different type of environment. They were setting up a new label. It was in a new record company. Other people I knew who'd worked there, they had good things to say about it. So again, I think for me, I'm always just like, well, it's, it's not like going to be the end of the world if it doesn't work out. So I yeah. should do it because if anything, I'm going to learn from it. If anything, like, you know, it was a job that it was like, I'm going to learn from working in another building like that. It's not going to be a negative. So I took a job there and I was there for a year and a half Okay. at Warner. And what was your role there and how was it different to what you'd already done at Relentless? So, yeah. So, and that's the thing, I guess it was like a promotion in right. some capacity because at the end of me working at Relentless, I was a marketing assistant. So that was partly it. And I was like, you know, there's other people in the team that are higher than me, such a small team. The progression is going to be harder because there's not really anywhere else to go because there's already a product manager. So then I got offered a job as a product, a junior product manager. And so again, I was like, well, I've never been that before. So it makes sense. And I'm going to learn. I'm going to be in a building where, you know, they've signed really massive acts. So I became a product manager, which is essentially a marketing manager. But then I would be in control of all the projects that I worked on, as in like the marketing element of it. And it was really exciting because it was again in the sort of like urban dance world. So it was more like tailored because the stuff that they were trying to sign was more music that I knew I'd probably have an interest in. Yeah. Could you explain what a product manager is and maybe some of the stuff that you worked on specifically and how, how you kind of worked on those projects? So product manager is, I guess... It's like, I don't know. I don't even know why it's called a product manager, but I guess it's like a project manager. Some people call it product manager, a marketing manager. I guess you're the center point of the marketing campaigns. So me in the UK, for example, I would be the point of contact for information, for sharing information and for bringing a team together. So the A&R team will be like, we've got this song with Bryson, it's finished. Now we're in the marketing phase of actually putting it out. So then my job is everything from making sure I send it to the team to put it up on Spotify and Apple, putting a, a rollout plan in place to actually market the song. So getting music video in place, getting the artwork in place, getting the press, radio, you know, team in place. But then also within the building, going and having meetings with the sales team who deal with like 
how do we pitch this out to retailers? So like maybe it could be HMV when it was there or Rough Trade or whatever it is, going in and pitching it, saying we're gonna have a music video coming out. This is what we're gonna be doing around it. We're gonna have a radio premiere, liaising with all the teams. And then when the song comes out, my job is to like send updates. Okay, this is how many streams it's had. This is the sort of place we wanna get. Liaising with management saying, okay, cool. We wanna do a launch party. Let's figure that out. Basically anything that comes under the marketing umbrella of like, once you have the product. So it's like, we need to now get the artwork. We need to get all the assets in place. We need to have banners on social media. We need to change them. We need to launch the video on this day. We need to get a radio premiere. We need to get a premiere on press. But then all of those people would then go out and do it. So I guess my job is to enable them to be able to do their job. And then once they've done it, feeding back to all the teams that work on the project. So then you might have like an international project manager. So my job will be making sure in the UK that all of that stuff is out there, but then communicating with them so that they can tell people in America or Germany or wherever it is that they have product managers so that they have all the information to then tell their team about it essentially. Yeah. So I guess it's everything that relates to like putting out music and the creative and the sort of logistics of that. What at Warner were the projects that you were most proud of? So I worked with Fuse, ODG, and that was really exciting because, do you know what? I liked all the projects I worked on, but I like Fuse because I think culturally what he's doing is amazing. And I think like just having an insight into all of the stuff that he's doing was really great. Conductor, who's Garage, that was just really fun. Like I really enjoyed that. And then I worked with Steel Bangles, which was really great because at the time that deal was really new and I got to work on the first single, which had also loads of different prominent UK artists on it. Yeah. So that was really fun. But yeah, I think like that experience was just like being in control and it was just really fun. And I got to learn while I was doing it. And it was just like being a part of these teams where I actually got to interact more, I think, with the team. So I got to actually interact with the management and the artist. And before, I maybe didn't have that as much. So I think that's what I really enjoyed about it, where it was like I got to be more involved, even more involved than I already was. And I think that was always the one thing that is what I wanted, is I wanted to be close to the creative and close to the artist and be able to be a part of that whole experience. Didn't you also take it even further there with like when you're producing videos and <laughs> yeah. shooting a bit? Didn't oh, you shoot yeah, a Lowski no, video? Yeah. Oh, Steel Bangles. Yeah. And again, I think like I realize now, I guess I'm just the type of person where if I see the opportunity arise, I'm like, well, I might as well ask the question because if I don't, it's not going to happen. So that was literally, we had done bad with, with Bangles. And then we were on to the next sort of releases. And then just before I handed it over, because obviously I ended up leaving and Oxy took over. But essentially we had a commissioner, Nathan, who commissioned all the videos and he was getting more involved in everything. And we really had to shoot this low ski video like pretty fast. And I was just like, well, I have an idea. And at the time, you know, I'd done some content pieces. I'd done like a little bit of producing. So I was literally just like, I have an idea. I would love to like 
to see if everyone would be up for us doing it because then it's in-house essentially it's easier because we control it we know we can deliver it when we need to deliver it it's a lower budget so obviously we can like offset those costs and things so I literally was like should I just write an idea like I was literally just talking to Nathan I was like should I just write an idea did it and then he looked over and he was like you need to change this you need to fix that you need to do that and then I was like well actually we should just do it together because obviously you have the actual expertise of doing this I didn't think that everyone would say yes Right. Because, you know, I was like, well, it's like I've never actually like directed a video myself, but obviously Nathan had. So we had so I knew that there was more of a chance because he actually knew what he was doing. And I just had like an idea type thing. But then we presented it to everyone and they were just like, yeah. (laughs) So I was like, okay, great. Like not okay, great like that. But, you know, I was like, well, this is a great opportunity because now I'm going to get another insight into like another element. But I just think in, in everything, it's like if you don't put yourself forward for things, then nobody's really going to think about you as being able to do it. But I think as well, maybe because during that period of time, I already had other companies that were doing those types of things. Like we were already working on massive brand campaigns, building content for Nike and Adidas and producing videos and producing pieces of content that it wasn't so far like out of the blue that it would be ridiculous, if that makes sense. Like I already had some skills that they knew I could deliver it. Yeah, But it was obviously just a new thing that I hadn't done before. But I think everyone at that point felt like trusting enough to let us go ahead and do that. You've already mentioned In Bloom, but could you talk about what that is? And Yeah. So that was essentially me and a group of my friends who essentially just started off as a friendship group. And I think as well at the time... You know, Tumblr was really new. Instagram was really new. Everyone was just figuring out what they really were and like hashtags and all these different things where I think, so it actually started because two of the people, Christine and Erin, had an exhibition where Erin is an artist. So she had painted all these pictures and Christina had taken all these photos and they called the exhibition In Bloom. So that's where it like initially started. And then from there, we all met each other. And then from there, we all became friends. And then so... In Bloom just became, I think, something that it kind of fit like what it looked like to an extent or like what the imagery was looking like and things like that. And then from there, it just grew. And then, yeah, like at the time, everyone was new. So photography, like Christina and all, they were developing basically. And so we would all shoot together. They'd be like, oh, well, you model. I'm a photographer. You can do the set design. You can do this. We were just like experimenting, I guess. Whereas like we'd go out, we'd go to the park and then eventually because everything was growing in terms of influencers and all of these types of things where it was like people wanted to give you a product to just take a picture of it and obviously for us we were like sure like of course if you want to give us free trainers or free you know whatever to take pictures in that's a great idea and from there I guess we were just shooting a lot because it was summer we were out all the time and then eventually we all kind of sat down at some point and we're like if we take this opportunity seriously it could become a real viable business and so then we kind of put a structure in place and then we got this night campaign and that was like the first like job where we actually got paid and they were like we want you to produce this shoot and we were in it and we did the photos for it and we put it out and it was really fun and that was like the first experience we had doing a campaign together and I guess from there we just kind of put things in place where we were like okay let's Let's run it as a business and see how far we can go kind of thing. Well, it was a bit more structured than that. I mean, I'm making it sound like we were just like, yeah. But, you know, we were literally just like, 
we see an opportunity here where it's like there's other agencies who are doing similar things why why aren't we able to do that because people are approaching us all the time to do jobs and to put content together and to reach an audience that i guess was harder for the average person to reach because we were all those people as well we were the demographic that people were trying to target in some cases so it was really great and then from there yeah we just started working with brands and started actually working on really good campaigns with big massive brands and yeah. so that was sort of feeding in at the same time as me working at a record company. So I was like building a network of like working with musicians, but also working with brands. And then there was some crossover between those, which was really great. How difficult was it to balance the two? So hard, really hard. I mean, literally I was working full time. Like, but then I, now I think about it, I'm like, well, that's what I was doing from uni. Maybe it was just like, I always, I guess I always knew that like the, the entertainment industry is cutthroat and it's like you have to be at everything you have to do everything so my mentality was just like I'm gonna work at this company five days a week and then every hour I have off I'm gonna put into my own business into my own like projects because that was also I guess after because in uni I'd gone out a lot I'd partied I'd done all of that that was like my outlet for for I guess partly socializing partly creating so it was like natural to just finish work and then work on my extra projects. We'd shoot on the weekends. It just became normal, but it was really hard. I mean, like, yeah, my health suffered definitely right. from all of that. Like, that's the thing, you know, it's like, it was possible and I did it and I'm fine, but there is definitely a toll it took on my physical health over that period of time that now I under, it's like only in hindsight now I'm like putting myself under all of that pressure all the time obviously isn't going to end in anything good when did you realize that it was taking such a toll i think like when i was at warner i guess because that was when i was like i was working full-time product managing and then like in bloom and cozy which is another company that i was running and then i was djing and i was managing and i was just like yeah this is too much it's too much because it's like there was no time that i was ever not working I mean, I still work all the time, but you know, now I'm like much more like there has to be a limit. Whereas before it didn't matter. I'd stay up all night going to work. But then it was like, I was doing that. I was working on the door and then I'd go into the office in the day. So it was just the thing where I got to, I think as you get older, you, you start to take it more seriously where I'm like, oh yeah, these problems I'm having are probably connected to the amount of work that I'm doing. So I actually have like, it's not just, oh, I'm stressed. It's like, no, because I'm doing 10 million things and I'm not sleeping well, I'm not eating. I would miss lunch. I'd miss dinner. I'd be going to all these events. And I'm like, oh, actually, eventually you're gonna, you're gonna get to your point where you're burning out. Yeah. So I think when I left, I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't want to be in that position again. But I think that also came with age where I was like, I'm getting older. I don't want to be completely like, you know, I want to have a weekend. I want to be able to not be working 24 7 i mean i haven't got there yet but i'm closer (laughs) yeah because i think when you're younger you do think i'll keep doing this i'll just put up with the stress because eventually something's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna be fine yeah but that mentality doesn't actually there's not really a way out of that mentality i don't think until you literally stop and go no this is not how Mm -hmm. i can work what happened to make you go like i have to change this I guess like part of it probably was looking at what I want for the the long term of my life. You know, you work in a job and you're like, okay, yeah, obviously I want to be rich or I want this in five years. I want this or I want this. When I actually sat down and I was like, okay, 
the longer I stay in this role of being a product manager, the harder it is for it's going to be for me to transition into something else. You know, like, you know, if you do a job for 10 years, you're more likely to not change that role. So I was just sitting there and I was like working full time and trying to run a business. It's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, working full time and then trying to say that I'm running two companies and DJing and modeling and managing. And I think that thing of like, yeah, like investing my time into a company when I could be investing it into my own company. And I think that was it where I was like, you know, I'm putting 90% of my energy here or maybe 80% of my energy here and 20% into my own business. And my own business is actually running well. So I'm like, if I put 100% into that, then in my head, I was like, there's no way that it won't be successful, if that makes sense. Because I was like, I'm able to sustain having a job and running a company that's doing relatively well in some in some ways so if I'm only putting 20% into that I'm only ever going to get a certain amount back so at some point I was like I have to take a risk basically because that's my other thing I was like okay if I leave this job and I put 100% of my efforts into running my own business and it doesn't work I can still get another job yeah but if I don't do this now then I'll never know if this company could be successful mm-hmm. or these companies or whatever it is that I want to pursue outside of this job and I think that's what it was I was just like at some point I have to actually take the risk and just say, okay, I'm going to put hundred percent effort into something that's mine that I believe in. Yeah. So you take that jump, you leave Warner. And so at this point you're doing in bloom, which we've already talked about, but then cozy. Yeah. When did that start? And what is that? So that also started around that actually started when I was at Sony cozy did. So basically I met Neela um and she was running cozy which was an online magazine platform and at the time obviously I was working at the Notting Hill Arts Club so when we were talking and because I was programming my own events there as well so I used to do my own nights there and then I was like to her well you've got this online platform where you always have musicians like new musicians coming in that don't have access to put on a headline show but it would be great for us to use our platform basically to come together and put on these events so we were actually running events at the Notting Hill Arts Club with Cozy when I was there and so then I left and we both went off and did other jobs so it kind of stopped for a bit where we were running events and then we do one-off shows so like we did a show with Joyce Rice where we did like a headline show for her we did like a headline show for Age of Luna and then as it developed, as we both progressed in our careers, we realized like In Bloom was really great for a lot of brands, but it wasn't as equipped for like music jobs. And and a lot of people were approaching us, like approaching me and her like to consult. They were like, oh, can you help us with this? Or can you take photos or can you do this? So eventually we were like, well, it makes sense to transition Cozy from like an events based well, it started as a magazine and then into an events company. And then we were like, actually, it makes sense for it to be much more of a music consultancy. And that was running alongside that whole time. So I left Sony, Cozy was still running, In Bloom was running, got a job at Warner. Those things were both running. And then I left to focus on that and In Bloom. And management as well. And management. Who, who were you managing at the time? <laughs> so at the time, I was managing Just Little C. Um, which is Cheska. And that came because I met her through Neela 
And then she plays Bashment, and obviously I love Bashment. And so Neela was like, you two both love Bashment, you should work together. And at the time I was like, again, in my, in the long term, I was like, management is something I always wanted to do, but I didn't have any skills in it. And I was like, managing a DJ first off will be a great way to like enter into management without the pressure of having like, you know, a singer where she needs a live band or he needs a live band and then they need dancers and they need, you know, a whole structure around them and they need money. And whereas a DJ, it's like, she's very self-sufficient, very good. She gets booked. She just needs USB. And, you know, like, so it's a lot of an easier process. And I knew how to like speak to promoters and speak to agents because obviously I'd done events myself. So it made sense. And she was in a place where, you know, she just needed help with a few things. So I started managing her. I mean, the management thing actually is still really new for me because I only started that really properly in April this year. Right. So, you know, before that, I kind of helped out with management. So, like, I would consult with management companies, but I'd work really closely with them to do the creative and help them with the rollout strategy. So, again, I had more of an insight into management because I worked closely with people that managed, but I never actually, like, managed by myself anyone and then in April, I guess that's a whole, yeah, again, like I, I transitioned from being freelance into management. I work full time now with FK Twigs on her management team. You know, people will be like, oh, you manage, like you manage. And I'm like, it's still even separate. Like with Twigs, I work for a management company and I work with them just on her. And with Cheska, that's just me. Yeah. And you still do Cozy as well. Yeah, still Cozy. So now we do a lot of video production we do a lot of consulting so we consult for management companies um so we consulted with like no names management and i do some stuff with uk artists here but we do a lot of production so we'll produce content produce music videos obviously neil is a video director and again it just happened where when i was when i left warner we were both freelancing and actually we went traveling so we went traveling because I was like, I need a break. I've been here. I'm going to go to. And she was already in America, Neela. So I went out there for a month and then we came back. And from there, we just started. I just started working with her and helping her produce her music videos. And from there, we were like, again, actually it makes sense. We have we have a company. You're a director. I'm a producer. I have a background in like project management. And, and also like she has an insight into that, too. So it works really well. Um, so, yeah, we produce a lot of music videos and a lot of content and with the twig stuff how does how does kind of being part of a management team differ to like the management stuff you do with Lelsi and Kariara I guess it's like the main difference is that she's a superstar already so it's like a completely different ball game yeah because you know she's already you know been she's already put out albums she's already a star she's already in a certain position so it's like a completely different working frame from like working with an artist who like we're still you know developing we're still finding the right partners to work with we're still I guess building building those blocks whereas with her it's like I don't know how to explain it. it's just like there's already so much in place so it's like going in and actually managing those things and making sure that everything that needs to happen happens and it's just like a completely different scale yeah if that makes sense so it's like similar things but just on a completely different scale of like you know even from a label perspective like she's probably that that's the closest i've been to working on everything for an artist of that size so it's just like a really different insight into into how you manage those projects because that's the thing everything is like way bigger 
Yeah. So, you know, for like a smaller artist, you're putting up music and then you're, you know, making maybe merch and then you're figuring out the shows and things. And it's like quite, I guess, you know, smaller. So it's like smaller, less people to deal with. Whereas that it's like, you know, there's a whole massive team and then there's a worldwide team and then there's like a team of agents and a team of, there's basically a team of everything that usually might be one person is a team of people. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just like a massive scale, which is amazing. It's like so interesting. Being part of a team, is there just certain, is there certain aspects of the management that you that are your responsibility? Yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense of like, I'm dealing with much more of like the music side because I came in from a musical background. So like, right. and that's the thing, I guess I came in when she was going back into cycle of releasing music. Mm -hmm. So I only have actually that perspective of it, of like being in campaign mode. So my role is a lot around liaising with the label, making sure that they have everything they need to put out the records. And, but now I'm still like, I'm like learning, like dealing with the agents and dealing with, you know, how we promote things and put all of those things in place. So it's like, yes, it's the same, but it's just dealing with more people and dealing with things on a, on more of an international scale as well. Yeah. I think because even when I was product managing, <clears throat> you have like product managers outside of outside of that territory. So you'd have someone in America or have someone in Germany, whatever, where it's like now in management, you deal with everything all around the world. Yeah. And that's like a lot bigger. Yeah. And I suppose with an artist like her as well, it's like she's not strictly just a musician yeah. either so so there's like other yeah there's I guess, so elements to be exactly. managed exactly and that's the thing it's like how do those pieces of the puzzle all fit in together so it's like always making sure that they all they all align with each other which again is something that you know you only see when you're working with an artist of that size i guess like a lot of people when you look back at their career or their progress they've kind of picked one thing to specialize in <laughs> and sort of gone ahead whereas with yours it's always like yeah you would try in different things and learning about all these different areas. What do you think it is that drives you to be like that? A couple of things. I think one is just like, why not? <laughs> like, why not? If I have, because I'm, I feel, I feel lucky that I'm in a position where I do have the ability to try different things in within this industry, you know, like I, I, but I also am like, because I made sure it was that way. And I think as well, maybe growing up, like my dad was a musician. He run he ran a live music venue. He didn't do just one thing. And like he came from working in a job, you know, like a nine to five job that he didn't like. Then he left that and then did loads of different things. So growing up, I saw people who worked in music do different roles. So it was never weird to me. And I just felt like, yeah, I never wanted to just stay in one place. And I was like, I guess like now I think about it in this capacity, I learn best by doing. And that's what I realized the more I did, the more I produced a video, I'm like, oh, okay. Now when I'm a product manager and I, and I need a music video delivered, I know what it takes to actually deliver that. Or like, oh, now, like when I ran events, I started DJing only because I was like, if I have a DJ that cancels or doesn't turn up on time and I don't know how to even use the decks, that doesn't make any sense. And I think part of it was that. It was like necessity of like, if I want to deliver all these things, then I have to be able to know how to do them. I think another part of it was also like financially, all these different avenues bring in different income. Yeah. So part of it was like, okay, well, I know that if I work, for example, in a record company f full time, I'm only ever going to make 
a certain amount of money because obviously I get paid a wage to do that job. Whereas if I have different skills, I'm going to be able to make more money doing X, Y, or Z. I would be in the label when I was younger and then I'd see consultants come in because obviously I knew how much everyone got paid because I was I was an intern. So I had to like do all the POs for everyone. Right. So I was seeing the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, so this person who's built their career, you know, obviously they came from probably working in a label and doing all of that. But now they're at a point where they can charge triple or double the amount because they're a consultant rather than just working full time for a company or things like that where I was also like, it's about the long term of like, I can see you know, the avenues of income that can be made if I do more than one thing. Yeah. So why should I limit myself to one when I could make money doing like four different things? Yeah. And how do you, because I think that's an interesting point is like, how do you charge for creativity? How do you know how much your consultancy costs versus someone else's? Yeah, I think that is always changing. That's always a changing scale because it just depends on if you like the artist. There's so many factors that there's not like one set thing because it's like, for example, if Rihanna approached me tomorrow and said, I want you to produce a music video for 10 pounds, I'd be like, sure, <laughs> no, we'll 10 pounds. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it depends on how much you care about it, how much you want to do it. Like when I was directing that video, the budget was really low, but I was like, this is the first experience of me doing that. So it's obvious that I'm not gonna be able to charge a large amount of money or whatever and I think it's all about it depends on like if you're passionate about it and I always see it as well like what can I deliver because I don't want to take money from people when I know I can only deliver to a certain level if that makes sense so I'm not going to say oh you should pay me five grand knowing that I'm only going to be doing two days worth of work if that makes sense so I think it's all about like you understanding the landscape of what you're working in because then it's like producing mid music videos with an artist that's just been signed that we know doesn't have a massive budget yet. But then in five years, they might. But then working with a brand like Adidas or Nike, where we know, okay, you're more likely to have budget because you're a massive corporation. You're not an artist that's brand new that does just you and your manager, where you know that they don't have that disposable income. So I think it all depends on, on what service you're providing on what the, who the client is, do they actually have the budget to pay you and what you think the value is for the time of work that you're doing. Obviously having suffered health-wise before and burnt out, now that you're doing the Twig stuff, but then you're also managing two artists, you DJ, you're doing cozy. How do you make sure that that doesn't happen again? What do you do to make sure that your health is good? Um, well... That's the thing. I mean, like right at this moment in time, probably not doing that great, but swimming, I try. But then I know like everyone's gonna be like, yeah, but you don't even swim all the time. But in my mind, swimming does really help when I do it. I think it's just the same, you know, for everyone. It's like finding the things that make you feel relaxed, really. Because that's what it is. And it's like, it's even outside of the job you do, living in London in itself is stressful. So I think it's like, you know, finding that downtime where taking breaks, you know, like as in leaving London is one of them. Um, but like on a day to day, just like, I know for me, it's like having a routine, like going to bed early. 
but this is the thing I say this but it's just so hard to maintain but like eating well eating at the same times swimming trying to like make sure I spend time outside because I'm the kind of person where like I could just stay inside and stay in bed and do nothing like not do anything but I'm like I know that that's not going to be good so trying to get like get out and do things and actually just yeah I think like trying to switch off trying to meditate meditating is one of them where it's like you know again I don't do it all the time but when I do do it the impact it has I know is beneficial like I see the difference when I'm doing those things but it's just like hard to maintain all the time so that's what I'm trying to get better at now because as I said like I know the impact it has on me so I'm like if I don't if I don't put it as a priority that's the problem isn't it I realized like even when I was when I was at the label right they would have wellness weeks where you know it was about wellness and in the workplace and you have people come in and talk about meditation and yoga and I'd always sit there and I'd be like well the thing is the guy who's coming in who's telling us about the wellness he used to work in music or like you know he would be like I used to work in in advertising and then I got burnt out because I was having all these panic attacks so I had to leave the industry and then and go on a journey of wellness so I'm like it's a lifestyle like it's not just you know it's very difficult when you're in it to also maintain all of the things that you should be doing to make yourself feel the best. Yeah. So I think it's about balance where I'm trying to, you know, say, okay, obviously there is going to be a lot of days when I'm not able to eat at 8 p.m. But if I make sure that I try and compensate for that the next week or the next day by doing something else that's going to make me relax, it's what I tell myself. Yeah. Basically, I haven't figured it out just yet, but... But there's progress. Yes. Yeah. Definitely progress. Like, definitely from when I was working at the label. But I think that's it. Time, isn't it? It's all about time. Because at that time, I had no time. Now, I'm like, I have to make time for me to be able to just relax sometimes. What do you think is the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome across your career? I guess just being able to, like, know your value in terms of, like, one, money... But two, where you sit in this industry, because I think as a woman, as a young person, I think the way that people perceive me when they first see me is very young. So people, when they meet me, they like before I've spoken or whatever, they think that I'm really young. So they have this perception that maybe it's easier to get around. I don't know. I mean, this is just what I think. But being in situations where you have to fight for everything. You have to fight to get your ideas. You have to fight to do all, like to get paid what you should get paid. All of these things where I'm like now, that used to really get to me, I think. Like I would be like, oh, it's just really sad or like blah, blah, blah. Whereas now I'm like, actually, this is just the way of the industry. This is just the way things go. And it's not just about, oh, because I work in this industry. It's actually life. So I'm just much more like, I know what I want to do and I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And, you know, as long as I'm able to like support myself and enjoy it, that's really the main things for me now, because I'm like, I think when you're driven, you set goals for yourself that you can achieve. So it's more about making sure that I'm doing things that are going to help other people as well, I guess, where it's like being a woman in the music industry and being a young person, being able to like hopefully bring opportunities to other people that maybe it was harder. Because when I started at my internship, at Sony I was the only person there the only intern and like it wasn't that diverse wasn't that many women so it was just all these things that I'm sitting there like it was always a debate in my head like should I be here because there needs to be a voice of that person and then I was actually like 
it's also about being able to bring opportunities to other people because that's what's going to actually add value in the long term is bringing other people into these situations that maybe wouldn't be able to get right into a label or whatever it is and if I have any knowledge that I can share with people that will help them then that's what I want to do. What are you most proud of about what you've achieved? I think like just one being able to actually just like have a job in the industry because you know that's the thing as a kid I was like I want to work in music never really knew what it was but I just feel like the ma- the fact that I've managed to s- sustain like working in this industry and it pays my bills and I can live off of it and actually do things I enjoy I'm like that in itself to me is the biggest thing because I'm like you know I never thought now when I look back at all the things I've done I'm like yeah I think it's for me it's like the most personal ones of like the small accomplishments that aren't like seen as a massive thing but when I was a kid you know you'd sit at home watch tv and be like I'd love to go to like the Brit Awards or I'd love to go to the Mobos or like the Mobos used to be the thing that I was like wow like that is the that is like what is success if that makes sense and then when I went I was like sitting there like it's not even like I didn't win an award or anything like I was just there but it was more that I was like okay actually if I set a goal for myself I can achieve it and like working with Bryson or being able to, sh- to direct a music video or producing music videos with artists that I really actually like. Those things are all for me like moments that I'm like, that's what that's what it's all about because I'm in a position where I actually get to work on things that I really enjoy, but not everyone does. And knowing like what my passion is and being able to actually fulfill that, I think that is really like my favorite thing about being able to do this really but proudest moment I mean like I think Bryson was one of the highlights I think like some of the videos me and Neil have produced we went to Jamaica and did a music video that was like an amazing thing a Mick Jenkins video but it was like you know we got to travel and we were like oh my god but you know that was like a dream like oh I'd love to like go to another country and it's like going to Jamaica and being able to actually shoot a music video that was amazing but even like with In Bloom, like being able to like, we did a campaign for shoe that ended up like in stores and stuff. That yeah. was like an amazing thing that it's like all my friends, we actually just delivered something that, you know, like at the time you're just like, oh yeah, we're just working. But now I think about it, I'm like, those were all things that I feel like in the long term, I'll be like, wow, I managed to do that. You just said that it used to be the Mobos, but I wondered what does success look like to you now? I literally think for me now, it's like continuing to grow, being like financially stable and like having finances in abundance. No, but also because I think what that brings outside of stability is a certain level of like influence in being able to change things, you know, because when you're at a certain level, you have influence on who you employ on what opportunities you can bring to people. So I think when it comes to finances is not just about oh I want loads of money it's actually about knowing that when you're in those financial positions you can create opportunity for other people and I think that's like one thing um and I think yeah like just just being able to to like do things with my friends and I just think it's it's really about being able to fulfill like the things that you want to achieve in life. And I think success for me is just like continuing to work on projects that I really enjoy because I don't think there's an end. That's what you think. I think before you think, okay, when I work at this on this project, I'm done. Like I've, I've hit it. And then you get to that point and you're like, oh no, there's still so many things I can achieve. So I think for me, it's just about 
always being able to do things I enjoy, hopefully getting to work with my friends, bringing other opportunities to people. And then, yeah, like being able to like, just sit back and one day and be like, I don't have to work as hard anymore. I think like, that's literally it. Like success is like not about, for me, like the, like I want to achieve things and I want to set goals that I can hit those targets and achieve awards and getting things. But I, I think success really is like being healthy, having financial stability, being able to take a holiday when I want to take a holiday, being able to carry on working on all these exciting projects. I think like those are the end goals really in the long term. Thank you for listening to Making Conversation with Grant Bryden featuring Sade Lawson. If you liked this episode, then please be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can find Sade on socials at Sade Lawson and at cozy.global. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden. Thank you to Kiki, where this episode of Making Conversation was recorded.